We are in week number two of a sermon series that we have entitled, Jesus is Enough. All right, Jesus is Enough. This is a verse-by-verse study through the book of Colossians. Now, um, I don't plan on this study dragging out for too long. You'll see even today that each of the points that I'm making could probably stand alone in its own message today, and that's okay. Um, I want you to walk out of here every Sunday of this series saying, I got that this week. Like, I, that, whatever that is. And some weeks there's going to be a shotgun, as last Sunday was, of, of things that Paul brings out. Other weeks it's going to be more centralized. But ultimately, I want us to understand that God has written us a book. And in this book, it's, it's, it's powerful, it's alive, it's inexhaustible. And within this book contains everything we need. And today the sermon simply is titled, as creatively as I possibly can make it, The Preeminence of Christ. The Preeminence of Christ. We're in Colossians in chapter 1. If you'd like to turn there, we're not going to read for just a second, but if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles or an app, whatever, in a little bit, the verses will be up on the screen for you. But as a reminder, if you were not here last Sunday or just as a refresher from last Sunday, the composition of this book is a four-chapter book, and pretty much straight down the middle of the first two chapters, Paul is going to address some theology, some theological truths, some doctrinal truths um, that he needs to get into the hearts and minds of these believers at the church at Colossae. He then is taking the last two chapters of the book of Colossians and he is practically applying the things that you learned. So, So what does it matter that Jesus is preeminent? How does that look at work? How does that look in my marriage? How does that look in my relationships, right? So he practically applies them. So we need to keep that. By the way, that is also the way that we function and live as Christians. We learn, we comprehend doctrine in the heart. I mean, (laughs) in the head. (laughs) Um, In the head, and that leads to transformation of the heart. Brent, you remember when you guys first started coming to church? And that fleshes itself out in humble obedience you don't begin to do the works and then it affects your heart and then it affects your head a biblical transformation you clean the inside of the cup and then the outside will cleanse so it's a biblical principle the book of Ephesians is, is structured the same way last week we learned in our introductory sermon that faith hope and love are three main elements of the life of a believer But we illustrate it this way. They are like three legs of a stool. Faith, hope, and love. But that seat that connects those three legs is truth. The validation of truth. The truth of God's word. The truth of the gospel. So so people of faith, people of hope, and people of love, they must all be applied directly to the truth. I know many people with faith, with hope, and with love 
that don't have the truth of the gospel. And they're good people. But, but detached from the seat of truth, the leg of faith falls and crumbles. The leg of hope falls and crumbles. The leg of faith, hope, and love falls and crumbles. So when we find ourselves void of truth, faith, hope, and love really become useless. As a reminder, this church at Colossae had allowed the truth to be diluted. This is why Paul addresses it so early on. They had been influenced by false teachers. There had been, the word is heresy. Where it, there has been teaching that had infiltrated the church that was unbiblical teaching that questioned and, and, and went after uh, the deity of Jesus Christ and, and many other things. We'll see them a little bit as we walk through the book. Paul writes them to warn and instruct them on their doctrine. And we mentioned last week that one of the roles of the elders and leaders of this church is to instruct us in doctrine. To put a red flag up where there needs to be a red flag. To say, hey, maybe we shouldn't or maybe we should because of the truth. We also finished by highlighting that Jesus was enough. That's the title of the series. Jesus is enough. In our text today, we're going to drill that in very closely. We're going to begin in verse 15 in Colossians chapter 1. Would you follow along with me in your Bible, your app, or on the screens? Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. By the way, man, I didn't put this in my notes, so let me say it real quick. He wasn't just the firstborn of creation. He was the firstborn from the dead. He was the resurrected firstborn. That's not in my notes, so y'all just put that in the back of your head. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in, uh, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We're going to deeply dive into every verse of this text. I'm just kidding. We will be here for five hours. We're going we're gonna to look at the preeminence of Christ today and what it means. Heavenly Father, speak through your, speak through your word. Guide my thoughts. <clears throat> May our hearts today be transformed by hearing your word, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The word preeminent. Preeminent. We know what the word imminent means. If you're in imminent danger, it means it's happening right now. Like it should take priority. There's an imminent crisis. 
There's an imminent storm. That word preeminent means then imminent above or before others. It's superior or surpassing. That's the dictionary definition. I found a good synonym for, every time I say that, I think of toast crunch. I know it's cinnamon, but anyway. Um, A good synonym, toast crunch, is the word peerless. Sometimes my ADHD gets in the pulpit. I apologize. All right. Peerless. There's no peer, there's no rival, there's no co-worker with the word preeminent. I like to say it this way. Preeminent means before you start counting. So this, every one of us in our lives, there's a priority list. I hope your spouse and your family are somewhere up there near the top. Be a good thing. I'm assuming your livelihood is somewhere up near the top. I'm assuming your hobbies and the things that you enjoy doing are somewhere in there. But every single one of us, whether we know it consciously or subconsciously, there's a priority list that we have in our minds. And the way that we can figure out what our priority list is, is when two of those things conflict, what wins consistently? So when job... Man, I didn't start thinking I was going to start meddling this early. When job and family conflict, who wins? When hobby and job conflict, who wins? When, here's a good one, when marriage and parenting conflict. Now we're getting down here. Who wins? That's how we find out the order of our priorities. Now that does not mean if you go on vacation, like I'm going to go on vacation this summer, and you prioritize your family on a Sunday, that does not mean I am accusing you of prioritizing your family over Jesus. I'm not doing that. I'm saying... Over time, as you think back on your life, generally speaking, the choices you make in those either-ors, are that's your priority list. And I'm not here today to talk to you about your priority list. If you're already convicted on that, that's just the Holy Spirit. I'm not here today to talk to you about your priority list. I'm here today to talk to you about before you start your list. Before you start counting. Before you begin. And Paul focuses his early attention in the first chapter of the book of Colossians on this important foundational truth that Jesus should be before you start counting. And in this text, I'm going to give you three C's this morning. Three C's of the preeminence of Christ. Three C's. That should make it easy for you to remember. I don't alliterate every Sunday. I think alliteration is weird, Pastor Tom. I'm sorry. The older generation made up words. 
that did not make sense just because they fit. Anyway, I love all you alliterators out there. But anyway, number one, I want us to see this, his preeminence in creation. His preeminence in creation. Verse 15, I'm just going to quickly read through our text. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him thing, all things hold together. The preeminence of Jesus in creation. In creation. There are a couple of factors that we want to look at here, and we want to keep in mind the, the filter and the lens by which we want to view this is remember the church at Colossae had false teachers that had influenced the church. Many, many uh, theologians believe for 30 years this took place. And so Paul is starting all the way back. I want us to see that Jesus is the God of creation. He is the God of of creation, John chapter 1 dives into that, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through this Word, and without this Word, nothing was made that was made. So who was the Word? Verse 14 tells us very clearly. And the Word became flesh incarnate and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, and we beheld His glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God. And he just not only is God, he always has been God. He was there. He is the God of creation. He's the God of creation. And we must, and this church at Colossae had to understand that primarily, first of all, that Jesus is God. You must understand the deity of Christ as they, as they are facing false teaching, as they are facing heretical teaching, they must understand that Jesus indeed is God and he's the God of creation. But he wasn't just that. There's an interesting truth in Scripture that Jesus is also the firstborn. That Jesus is the firstborn. Throughout the history of the children of Israel, we see the significance of the firstborn. Probably the most popular one would maybe be Jacob and Esau. You remember the firstborn that got the birthright and the blessing that was taken away. All the blessings of the father would flow through the firstborn. The lineage of the family would flow through the firstborn son. The importance of the firstborn is seen throughout Scripture. And Jesus is the preeminent, before we start the list, firstborn. Firstborn. So he is preeminent in creation. He's the God of creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. And that's the, the truth that Paul wanted to get across to this church at Colossae. So before he addressed heresy that had infiltrated the church... He had the Christians at Colossae to build this foundation. In the very beginning, in the beginning, Jesus has always been preeminent from the very beginning. But not only that this morning, his preeminence not only in creation, but secondly, his preeminence in the church. 
His preeminence in the church. Look at that one verse, verse 18 in our text. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. His preeminence in the church, Paul does not stop with creation. He does not stop with the, with the in the beginning, Jesus was preeminent and is preeminent. Paul establishes Jesus as preeminent in the church. And this is the early church. This is just a few years removed from the resurrection of Christ. This is just a few years removed from the ascension of Christ. He establishes his preeminence. In the church, if you remember, Jesus had already proclaimed his ownership of the church to Peter when he said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You remember that text and that, that verse of scripture? So not only does Jesus own the church, not only does he promise to build the church, but Paul says that he should be the head, the preeminent one before we start counting. It ought to be him. Before we do anything else. And Paul reinforces this to, in his letter to the Ephesians, which he wrote right around the same exact time from the same prison. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. And he put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet. And he gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church. I don't know this morning how much more clear the scripture can be. I don't know how, how much more clear we can be uh, with this statement. The church belongs to Jesus. It is his church. Newsflash. It is not my church. It is not Jeff's church. It's not Aaron's church. It's not Tim's church. It's not Lynn's church. It's not Pamela's church. It's not even Nicole's church. It's God's. It's the church of Jesus Christ. So what does that tell me? While I understand that we all have biblical roles to play, elders, and all the giftings that we've spoken about of the Spirit that we play out in the church, and I understand we have to organize. But at the end of the day, we do not belong to some governing board. We do not belong to a denomination. We do not belong to a membership. We do not belong to your family. We do not belong. We belong to Jesus. To Jesus. The pressure's off. The pressure's off. Jesus says... I will build my church. So I don't have to come up with something crazy and some incredible idea to build Jesus' church. Now, I need to be a good steward. I need to do excellence. I need to lead us to do better. I need to lead us to be as good as we possibly can be for the glory of Jesus. But at the end of the day, isn't it nice to know that the buck doesn't stop with you? Isn't it nice to know that I can always say, hey, if you got an issue with that, would you go see my father about that? And my earthly father has dementia, so he's not going to be able to help you. And my heavenly father, he owns the church. Would you go see my father about that? 
Man, if, <laughs> I'm going to use that one. If, if I ever throw that line at you, you know what I'm saying, right? Um, would you go talk to my father about that issue? This is Jesus' church. And may I say this? He's doing a great job with it. It's his church. He is preeminent here. Hey, Easter Sunday, we had extra chairs out here. We brought out extras, extras. Hey, Jesus, it was his church that day. Hey, today it's spotty. It's his church. It's his church. He will build his church. If, you, if you're in this room today and you were with us since week one of our church's existence, during that first six to nine months, there were Sundays. One Sunday, I remember specifically, other than our children's ministry, volunteers, our worship ministry, volunteers, and the pastors, there was one car that pulled into the driveway one time. I nearly quit that week, no lie. It didn't help Steve was one of our elders at the time. It didn't help he sent me a text that afternoon. He goes, what are we even doing, man? I was like, thanks, Steve. <laughs> hey, but you know what? On that Sunday, guess whose church it was? It was his. It was his. Pressure's off. And by the way, this truth of the preeminence of Jesus in his church, it ought, to, it ought to funnel and it ought to be the lens by which we push everything through. Hey, if we're, sometime soon we need to get more cameras so we can have more than one angle. Okay, so as we lead through that, at the end of the day, it's so that we can better lift up Jesus. We spend a lot of money on a, a kids and student ministry area and, and downstairs and in here. Is it to impress people? No, no, it's so that we can accurately represent, without distraction, the fact that Jesus is enough. That he is preeminent. When we make decisions about, let's do this connect group study, or let's add this, or let's take away this, or let's adjust this. By the way, that's what we do as a church. We're always adding, taking away, and adjusting. It's all good. If we, when we make those decisions, it is so we may, with more force and more obviously, proclaim the name of Jesus. So it's Jesus' church, and here's what I say to you and to me. Let's not mess it up. Let's not get in the way. Let's not screw things up. Let's not let our egos and what I want and what you want, let's, let's let him build his church. This is my opinion. I'm not talking about numbers. I believe Jesus wants to build every local church and every local congregation. I think that some fizzle and some thrive. I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about just in their health. Based upon people getting out of the way and letting Jesus build his church. And may we be a church that does that. If I've got an issue with Tim, may I just remove a little bit for a second so that Jesus can build his church? That doesn't mean I don't ever talk about my issues with Tim. It means that my posture is, this is Jesus' church. This is his church. And this is how we're going to talk through this because it's his church. It's not my church, it's not his church. So Jesus is preeminent not only in creation, but he's preeminent in, in, in the church. And thirdly and lastly this morning, we see his preeminence in conversion. I got that C in there for you guys. Let me warn you that this text from verse 19 to verse 23 has some of the deepest, richest, most incredible theology. Verse 19, for in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's another throwback to our first point. His deity. 
the fullness of God in Christ. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. How did Jesus do that? How did he reconcile it? By making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated, Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You were in your sin. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There's a lot of truth right there, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of truth. That Jesus came to reconcile you who were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds in your sin. He came to reconcile you. And he has now reconciled you by, the, by his death in order to present you holy. He died in, his, in your sin so that he could, could, could present you holy and blameless and above reproach. If indeed, 23, you continue in the faith, stable and steady, if, if your faith was real, if it was genuine, if it was real, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If anybody was qualified to talk about this, it was Paul, who made the most radical conversion that we really see in Scripture. A man who, for his living, persecuted and executed believers in Jesus. And this man, Paul, gives some rich doctrine of Christ's preeminence in conversion. If you remember, Paul is laying some important groundwork to combat the false teaching and the heresy. And I would say that this is probably the most important truth that Paul uh, says in this text this morning that he wanted this church to understand. For we find this beautiful picture in the, of the deep work of the gospel right here in this text. There's a nod to the deity of Christ that I mentioned in verse 19. The fullness of God dwelled in him. Uh, Jesus was sent to reconcile us to God. That is what the gospel message is. It is that we were born in sin, Romans chapter 5, and that our sin separated us from God because the wages of sin is death. There was a gap between your creator God and you as a sinner. And Jesus came to reconcile. To step in, to bridge, so that you, the sinner, are now the son. That you, the sinner, are now the daughter. That you, who once were slaved in sin, are now seated as a joint heir with Christ. Reconciled to God. That is the gospel this morning. And he wanted to reinforce the gospel to these churchgoers. He wanted to reinforce the gospel this morning to those who had been in, who had planted this church, who pastored this church, who attended this church. And Jesus was sent to reconcile us to God, and he did that when he stepped on to that cross and shed his blood for our sins, was buried, and he rose again. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Aren't those wonderful truths this morning? I want us to understand this, though. Paul does not just give these truths generically. I'm going to read beginning in verse 21, and I want a couple of words to stand out to you. Are you ready? Look at verse 21 in the text. And you, 
You, who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you. Holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith. And he continues and finishes out. The simple way I want to close this morning is. Maybe you know of this preeminent Jesus. Maybe I preached today. And maybe at the very beginning you were like, you know what? You're right. I've got my life prioritized and I have this misplaced in my priorities. If that's what you got from today, awesome. That's great. That was not the point of my message today. But if that's what you got from it, that's not a bad thing. Great. My point today is to take maybe someone who knows of Jesus. Maybe you even heard of his mission to save the world. Maybe you even heard that he was not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Maybe you're even fluent enough in Christianese to quote this part of John 3.16, that God so loved the world. You see what Paul was doing Here in the first chapter of this letter to Colossians, he was saying, Jesus is incredible. Creation, the church, local, global creation before time, he is preeminent. Then he says, but for you, for you, for you. So today I'm asking you, have you ever personalized the preeminence of Christ in your life? Have you ever come to the realization that Jesus did not just die to reconcile the world to the Father, but that Jesus died to reconcile you to your Heavenly Father? Have you ever thought in your finite minds That if I was the only person alive on this earth, would Jesus die for me? If I were the only sinner, if if Romans chapter 5 did not say that because of Adam's sin that we all were born in sin, if it just said because of Adam's sin, Josh Cox in 2022, well, 1982, Uh, will be born in sin. The rest of you are good. Do I believe with all my heart that Jesus would come and die and rise again if it were just me? Can I answer that question for you? He would. He would. You say, how do you know that, Josh? Because we see his attention to detail. We see his love for the individual. We've seen it. We just went through 15 months in the book of Mark seeing his love for the individual. Seeing him take time away for the individual. He didn't just die to save the world. He died to save you. He didn't just die 
to have a relationship with the world. He died to have a relationship with you. He didn't just die to reconcile all of them to the Father. He died to reconcile you to the Father. So instead of quoting the verse, for God so loved the world, I don't believe we're stretching at all Scripture to say, for God so loved Josh that he gave his only begotten son. That if Josh would believe in him, I don't believe we're stretching scripture at all. Will you do this exercise with me? I know y'all hate talking out in church. That's all right. Can we just, together, we're going to say, for God so loved, and when we get to that next word, will you just say your own name? That's weird. It's okay. Church is weird. It's cool. No problem. We admit it. Would you say that, your name in there? Would you say it? You ready? One, two, three. For God so loved. We're going to do it one more time. You ready? For God so loved For God so loved Shane. Let's say it again. You ready? For God so loved Randy. For God so loved Bexley. He loved you. You. And what did Paul want the church of Colossae to do? Personalize it. Personalize it. So I'm asking you today. I can tell you my testimony, since that's the theme this morning. Right, Tim? My testimony is this. I can tell you all about it. Knew when to stand up, when to sit down. I didn't know when to shut up, but I did know all the other things. I was a professional Christian as a middle schooler. Some people in this room were knew me back then. And they still come to church here. If that don't tell you God is real, then. <clears throat> but I can tell you this. I knew everything. I memorized the verses just enough because I went to Christian school. I memorized them just enough to get a good grade on my Bible verse quiz. And then I forgot them. I was really good. I, know, I knew who I could say certain things around and who I couldn't say them around. I was very good at convincing people that I was okay. But at 19, going off to study for ministry, I finally surrendered to the Holy Spirit's pull for the last six or seven years of my heart. I mean six or seven years of rejecting and pushing him away on the inside. And at 19 years old, as a pastor's kid, who I've told you this before, my first memory of being alive was in a nursery. Eating Cheerios, all right? My first memory of being, that's how much of a pastor's kid I was. The first thing I ever remember in life was being in a nursery and there being a bag of Cheerios right there. I was destined for failure. Uh, but, uh, But there came a time when I was 19 that I surrendered. There was a time where that hold that I had on my heart As the Holy Spirit had been pulling me and pulling me and pulling me some conventional ways and some unconventional ways through some people that were really good-hearted but were kind of off in their philosophy by some people that were probably off in their theology, he had been pulling me. And at 19, I personalized it. I said, me. 
About a year ago, Randall. Me. Abby. Me. Me. So I'm asking you today. Did God just love the world? Did he just want to save the world? The world's a big place. There's a lot of people out there. Or have you personalized it? Is it you? You. Have you accepted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and to be your Savior? Is he your personal Savior? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge this morning the preeminence of Jesus, and it's very important that we know that he was preeminent in creation. It's important that we know he is preeminent over his church. This morning, may we grasp and comprehend and come to grips with the fact that he wants to be preeminent in our conversion, not of the billions of people in this world, but me, right now. God, today I pray that you would open the hearts and the ears of anyone this morning that needs to hear this, and that is that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He knew every sin that you would commit. And he loved you and he died and he rose again for you. And he wants a real, authentic relationship with you. And I wonder if there's anybody here today that would in their heart say, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want a real relationship with Jesus, a personal one. And I wonder today if you just in your heart pray some sort of prayer of repentance and belief. That's what the Bible says, repent and believe the gospel. A prayer that acknowledges your sin to Jesus. I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I confess my sin before you. The Bible says for all have sinned. There's none righteous. I, I know. And in your sin, the wage of that sin, the payment, the penalty of that sin is death. Not just a physical death. We'll all face physical death. There's that secondary spiritual death, the separation of you and your creator. And that's what we're talking about this morning. The separation of the sinner from the creator. But God demonstrated his love toward you. That while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Today would you make that bold declaration that I believe Jesus died for me. I believe that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day that he lives. And today I'm believing in Jesus and on Jesus and only Jesus to save me. Save my soul. Give me a new life. Give me an eternal home in heaven. I wonder if you're here today and you prayed some sort of, it didn't have to be those words. I didn't even lead you in a prayer. That messed me up for several years. I wonder if you're here today, though, and you'd be willing to acknowledge as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, that, hey, I, I prayed today something like that. And I wanted to step into a personal relationship with Jesus. I wonder if you're here today and you'd be 
ever so bold to slip your hand up beside your head and take it back down. We wouldn't embarrass you. We, it's what we live for. It's why we're here. I wonder if you're a believer today. I'm going to leave you with this question and I'm going to say, I'll be done. Does your life and the way you live your life reflect the fact that Jesus is preeminent? Holy Spirit, do your work in hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.